Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, for the first time of three. Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he, capital H, in reference to Christ, cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body. Hast thou prepared me? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he, Christ, said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He, God, taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, after he, capital H, had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting, Till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission or forgiveness of those of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Father, the logic and rationale of the text is 
outstanding, but it is hard for us to follow it, especially sometimes upon first reading. And so we pray that today and in the coming weeks that we have opportunity together in the text, should you tarry, we pray that understanding of the great things that are being presented here would dawn on us and that our minds would be open and our hearts would be tender and that the reception of these truths would fortify us against the unique challenges of the week before us. Father, we anticipated this morning of being a little congregation and a little congregation we are. We just thank you for those that have come can't help but think about the fact that some of the logic here in the text involves those that are called the comers. And today we're the comers. We're here. And we're waiting on you by the Spirit to teach us in this hour from this text for your glory and for our good. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. It was a personal conversation in a highly secured location. And none of those directly involved were surveilled so that we might know what was said or by whom. Yet, it was the absolute intention from the get-go of that private conversation that you and I would know about it and that you and I would be able to respond to it. Today we begin to work with a text that contains an embedded conversation that took place in eternity past among the eternal Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. Specifically, we are informed of what God the Son said to God the Father. And then what the Father had said to the Son before Christmas, before Incarnation. And we are made deliberately aware of this conversation by the written witness statement of God the Holy Spirit. So these 18 verses are attributed. 18 verses about the Father, 18 verses about the Son, 18 verses about the Holy Spirit. This text has a triune emphasis that takes our finite minds to the brink of the infinite. The text will take our minds to places that they would never naturally go. We have here insider information from the very realm of God. We have here clear information about God the Father's will in reference to the Son's work, which is linked to God the Spirit's word, 
That'll be our outline. Today, the Father's will. Next Lord's Day, the Son's work. The Lord's Day after that, the Spirit's word. All of that in these 18 verses of Hebrews chapter 10. That which the Bible reader would first identify as the insightful words of King David, as reported in Psalm 40, are herein revealed to be the actual words of God the Son about to become man on the saving mission of humanity, as recorded Hebrews 10, 6-9. But that's not it. You also have the words of the Father, as first reported from Psalm 110, and you also have the words of God the Father, as reported in Jeremiah 33, uh, or I should say 31 in verse 33. So there is a, a phenomenal embedding of a, a conversation among the eternal Godhead that is reported to us right here. As we have repeatedly said, uh, Hebrews chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10 are a unit of logic and presentation concerning the person of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we come to the 10th chapter, we come now uh, to an extended contrast uh, between the law and the Lord in culmination. That contrast between the law and the Lord has been carried forward chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, now into chapter 10. And now that contrast is going to culminate, and it culminates with the truth of the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As a re-entry point for the theme and the logic that is found here, look at verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. That's where we are reminded that God the Father had no pleasure in the offerings and the sacrifices made under the Old Testament law. And then we note the fact that the word there for pleasure, as in no pleasure for those sacrifices under the law, stands in great contrast to what we've recently studied in Matthew chapter 3 concerning the pleasure of God in regards to his Son. In fact, uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 6, pleasure, is the same word, Matthew 3.17, translated well-pleased. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well-pleased. Hebrews 10.6 says no pleasure in the sacrifices of the old. Matthew 3.17 says God the Father's pleasures in Jesus. A reference to Christ. God the Father was never well-pleased with the bloody sacrifices of animals under the law, but he is absolutely pleased with the one-time bloody sacrifice of our Lord. And as a result, Hebrews 10 reminds us that forgiveness is complete in Christ. Remission for sin is complete in Christ, and no additional sacrifice is warranted nor wanted before the face of God. This is the truth of Hebrews 10 through 18 in the overview. 
And in fact, the chapter, as these verses uh, unfold, will bear further evidence of that truth. We have uh, opportunity over the next three weeks to become a little more aware of the saving action of God the Father, Son, and Spirit on our behalf. At minimum, our text will help us to better sing the doxology. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That will easily fill our minds and mouths as we better see and better comprehend our own salvation from the perspective of God. This text is difficult in application only because there are potentially so many applications. There's not a single doctrinal area untouched by these 18 verses. There's not a a single facet of the believer's life left without impact right here. Uh, This text is filled with wow. And this text is filled with now. This text is filled with the wow of God and the now of salvation. This text is about the wow and the now of it. Today, next week, and the week after that. Now let's begin by surveying the text as read for insight into God the Father. We are specifically instructed as to the eternal intention of God the Father. You have in this chapter repeated references to the will of God. Thy will, O God. And we understand that idea of will as being determination. We understand that word will in this text uh, to speak of God's eternal intention. And specifically, Hebrews 10, 1 to 18 is going to talk about the eternal intention of God the Father regarding our personal salvation. I don't know what year it was you made up your mind about Christ, but I know what year it was when he made up his mind about you before there was a year. God made up his mind about you. We begin, as we have so often in this section, Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, we begin with uh, uh, looking at the chapter as it relates to the presentation of the law. The law is our first point of emphasis. Uh, The first verse speaks of the Old Testament law, once again, as the shadow Uh, of good things to come. Now, we've developed that idea of the law as being a foreshadowing, uh, a figurative uh, illustration, as it were, that is pointing to the Lord repeatedly. And today, we're interested in the characterization uh, of uh, the law uh, with the words, uh, to come. It says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. So the law was purposely designed to foreshadow something. So the question would be, if the law is the shadow, who is the foreshadower? And then just one more word. I'm sure you picked up on it as I read it and then prayed it. But you also have in verse uh, 1 a reference of people uh, of the Old Testament worshipers uh, that offered year by year continually. uh, It couldn't make the comers. 
and it describes the aspect of, uh, of the worshipers as those that are comers. Those that are coming to God for worship, coming to God for worship, coming to God for worship. And the old system of the law couldn't make any of those comers ultimately right before God. So you have here uh, a reference to come, and you have a reference here of make the comers. And the reference uh, to come introduces the idea of who it is that made it to come. Who is it that willed it to come? Who is it that designed it to come? Uh, who is it that intended that the law would foreshadow the substance of Christ, of the Lord? We're interested in that concept. Question, who exactly intended the good things that the law foreshadowed? Now, every Sunday school student knows the answer to this one, God. <laughs> the answer is God. Uh, but more specifically, based upon Hebrews 10, 1 to 18, we have to say God the Father. The intender is God the Father. The one who made the law to foreshadow the Lord is God the Father. And even more specifically than saying God the Father, we must say uh, uh, the God the Father intended the law to point to the good things exclusively attached to the work of our Lord. And so you begin to understand the overview here of the emphasis in the, in the, in the chapter. Uh, as you have an emphasis on the will or the intention of the Father and the work of the Son and the word of the Spirit. Uh, God the Father surely uh, did not intend that the law and the ritual of animal sacrifices would take away sins, verse 4. It was never the intention of God the Father that those animal sacrifices would take away sins. That's not possible. It's not possible. Never been possible and was not at all uh, proposed to be possible uh, in the intention of God as given. Again, back to first one, the law and the sacrifices can never, see those words, can never make any sinner relationally secure with thrice holy God. Those Old Testament saints coming to God called here the comers knew that the sacrifices prescribed would not make them complete in right relations with God. They knew that that would open the door of the worship of God and the promise of right relations with God someday, but they knew that it would not make them right before God. Verse 2 says that if those sacrifices could have and would have worked in that way to make right, then they'd still be in operation. We'd still be uh, uh, building altars and uh, having you raise sheep and goats, and we'd still be sacrificing. In fact, none of the comers, none of the comers under the law were cleared of their guilty conscience. And so verse 3 goes on to say that under the law, sins were actually revisited or rehashed after personal sacrifice 
on the national day of sacrifice, namely Yom Kippur. Now, when we relate to Yom Kippur, uh, we used to think about it in a warm, fuzzy kind of way, the Day of Atonement. But think about it. As Hebrews and chapter 10 and, and verse uh, 3 sacrifices it. It says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. You have relationships, husband, wife. You have relationships, parent, child. You have relationships. Uh, do you ever, in your relationships, have somebody bring up something that you thought was settled a long, long time ago? Oh, you're bringing that up again. You always, you weren't going to say that anymore. You know that? Well, think about this. The Old Testament structure of the law not only allowed, but called for the rehashing of sins. Isn't that just terrible? Who in the world would want to rehash their sins? And yet every year under the law, after you've made your personal sacrifices, there comes a time of the year that, oh, yeah, i got to think again about what I did this year. Oh, no. Oh, no. Rehash my sins. Uh, under the law, there was a perpetual uh, bringing up of sin again and again and again and again. Aren't you glad that in Christ our sins are gone. Yeah, the Father always intended that. He always intended that the law would simply point toward and educate the participants in the depth of their need and the marvel of his provision in Jesus Christ. So if you look at verse 9, the he in the middle of the verse, then said he, I would argue for Jesus Christ our Lord, said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, O God the Father. He, capital H, referring to its immediate antecedent, O God, God the Father, took away the first, the law, that he may establish the second, the Lord. God the Father took away the law that he might give us the Lord. The intention of the law was always to point us to the Lord. And God intended from the get-go to take away the law and to give us the Lord. That's what Hebrews 10, 1 to 18 is all about. I'm telling you honestly, I'm excited about it. It's just stirring to me. But since we've introduced the Lord, uh, the first thing that we hear in the record of divine intercommunication, back to verse 5, is that of God the Son saying to God the Father that he knows, God the Son says to God the Father, he knows that the Father has never been pleased with the offerings and sacrifices under the law. And that's why he knows, said God the Son to God the Father in eternity past, that's why he knows the Father prepared a body, a human body, a body of physical flesh, a human body of flesh for the Son of God to give in sacrifice that would completely please the holy wrath of God over our sin. God the Son is 100% committed to the will 
and saving intention of God the Father. No, verse 7. Then I said, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written me, to do thy will, O God. God the Son is recorded as saying, I come to do thy will, O God. And again, verse 9, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. God the Father is the eternal willer. He is the eternal intender of our salvation. You are saved through Jesus Christ our Lord, but you are saved only because it is indeed the will of God that you are. And I mean God the Father. This brings us to our next key word, which is the word legit or legitimate. I just remind you of the fact that you can chase that idea of the intention of God and the will of God even a little deeper. And, uh, and one of your stops will be in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Lord Jesus says in uh, moments of the pressure bearing upon him as he's about to become the sin bearer, I, I really don't want to do this. Uh, but nonetheless, Father, thy will, thy intention be done. Uh, the intender, the willer, is God the Father. And it is to that saving intention of God the Father that God the Son did at Christmas submit. Incarnation. Again, back to the word legit or legitimate. According to verse 10, it was the determinate will of God the Father by which we are set apart as holy by means of the sacrificial offering of the body of God the Son, our Savior. And, of course, once and for all. Verse 10 says, by the which will. That's a weird way to say about a verse. By the which will. By the which will. What will? The will that is indicated at verse 9. He, God the Father, taketh away the first, the law, that he might establish the second, the Lord, by the which will of God the Father, we are sanctified. We are set apart as holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The eternal intention of God the Father to save some finds its exclusive fulfillment in the one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the only legitimate means to conscience clear before thrice holy God. Only Christ can remove the guilt of sin. A particular point of emphasis is made Back to chapter 10, verse 2 at the end. A particular point of emphasis is made that under the law, nobody under the Old Testament economy ever lived a day with the thought that the guilt of their sin was G-O-N-E, gone. But that you and I can certainly live days on earth with the thought that our sin is G-O-N-E, gone because of the Lord and the forgiveness, or as it's called, remission uh, in verse 18, uh, because of the forgiveness or the remission that is associated 
uh, with the aspect of the removal of the guilt of sin by the one-time-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Something then of God the Father's intention, something then of God the Father's further and yet future intention is indicated in verse 13. From henceforth, expecting. Who's expecting? God the Son is expecting. Till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, it's a little bit of a mental gymnastic activity uh, to get a hold of this, but again, you have uh, in relationship to verse 12, reference to Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for our sins at the cross and did it so forever, sat down at the right hand of God, God the Father, from henceforth, from henceforth, from God the Father, sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and from God the Father, Christ is expecting. He's expecting something of God the Father. What's he expecting? He's expecting all of his enemies to be put under his feet. That's what he's expecting. Based upon what the God the Father had said to God the Son, the Son now sits in expectation of all things locked up under him. Where does that come from? It comes from Psalm 110. The most quoted messianic psalm in all the New Testament is Psalm 110. That's where God the Father says, you are my son. Sit down until I make all your enemies your footstool. Part of that private conversation in the eternal Godhead before there ever was a blade of grass. God the Father says to God the Son, you're going to sit and I'll take care of it. I'm going to make sure over the issues of time that all your enemies are defeated and that you shall rule and reign forever and ever. Amen. So God the Father had said to God the Son, uh, you're going to sit down until uh, I... Uh, until I make all your enemies your, your footstool. And so now the son sits in expectation of all things locked up under him. Uh, this part of the divine communication of truth to be revealed came first to David. Psalm 110, God the Father has willed or intended from the get-go a date and a time in which all the enemies of God the Son will be placed under this lockup of all opposition under Christ is likewise a part of the determinate will of God the Father. Since God is omnipotent, whatever he intends, whatever he wills determinatively is as good as done, even if it is, from our perspective, still future. We may well have good intentions of our own, but find no power or opportunity to make those things happen. Every time we get to this time of year uh, and, uh, and get near the aspect of, of uh, the Thanksgiving season, 
Uh, Sherry and I always tell each other the same story. She tells me, and then I tell her on a different day. But we tell the same story every year. And we tell it, and we tell it, and we tell it, because it was such a hurt. It was such a difficulty. It was such a, uh, an imposition on a young family. Uh, Sherry and I had, uh, had our two boys. Uh, Jason would have been about, uh, about uh, three and a half, and uh, Justin would have been about, uh, oh, about, uh, about two months old. And uh, all of uh, the family, uh, all Sherry's family, brothers and sisters, the whole tribe of them, are coming to Iowa for Thanksgiving. And so Sherry bought a, uh, I thought it was a 30-pound tur turkey. She said the other day, 22, and I'm not going to argue with that, but I'm telling you, it was one big bird back in the days when we were still eating turkey. I will never be eating turkey on any Thanksgiving that you know me, have known me. I don't eat turkey on Thanksgiving. I ate steak, but nonetheless, uh, uh, turkey. And uh, she bought a big bird. And, uh, and part of the reason why we don't eat turkey at Thanksgiving is because I had more turkey than I ever wanted to eat in my entire life. As a big snowstorm came through, it's like last couple days, and the phone rang, and the whole tribe said, not coming. And so we had, Sherry and I, two little boys, we had turkey enchiladas, turkey slop on a bun. We had turkey sandwiches. We had turkey, 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 and that's when I made the decision I am never going to eat turkey again on Thanksgiving. I'll eat turkey. It isn't that I hate turkey. I just will not eat it for Thanksgiving. And I'm not eating it this year. I'm having steak. But nonetheless, I'm just saying that that, that element of, of will, of intention, the best of intentions, you and I can't make things happen. Now, you don't think about things in the same way that I think about things. You thought about things probably yesterday saying, could I get my driveway clear? Can I get out? Can I, can I get to church Sunday morning? I'm thinking to myself, I know I can get there, but who else is going to be there? You know, am I going to be preaching to Sherry again? No. You know, I mean, you wonder. And I'm thankful for every one of you all the time, but especially today. I'm thankful for every single one of you on a day like today because the preacher has visions of the fact that nobody showed. You know what I mean? So nonetheless, I'm just saying, the best of intentions, the best of intentions, the best of intentions uh, we find in the human realm, no power to make that happen. But that is not true of our God. What he intends is what will happen. God the Father's will and foreshadowing intention for the law is now complete. God the Father's saving will and intention through the Lord Jesus at the cross is now complete. The Father's will and intention for his blood-bought children is right now eternally secure. We, by faith in Christ, are legitimate children of God. The Father's will and intention for the honor 
of God the Son is soon to culminate. The coming lockup will be the ultimate uplifting of God the Son on earth. This is the will of God the Father. This is a part of the wow and the now of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the Son next week, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit the week after that. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear. These things are so terribly encouraging. Help us to be a responding people according to grace and according to glory. For we do pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.